Welcome to Sober Holic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. All right, guys, today we're going to welcome Josh Hollingshead to the show and you know, I'm kind of excited about doing this. There's a lot of cool things here that you get to share with us that um, we don't always talk about here. Uh, you know, before we, we, we um, kind of started recording here, we talked a little bit about how Jason and I, we always tend to lean towards drugs and alcohol, but yet we know there's many more struggles out there. And and Josh, your testimony is is one of those that are not just based on drugs and alcohol. Um, what is it that, um, what is your main struggle that, that you kind of, you testify to? Well, guys, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be here with you. Uh, I have struggled over the last 20 years with a porn and sex addiction uh, that has just about consumed my life. Uh, and that's something that we just don't talk a lot about. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's that's so true because I was thinking about that on the way over here. Like with, um, it's almost now like drugs or alcohol. It's it's okay to have that struggle because we look at it as a, a mental disease, a, a sickness, and people almost like pity that. Like, oh, we need to get him help. But when you look at a sexual addiction. It's almost like dirty and disgusting. You know, that's kind of the attitude I get from people. Have you ever felt that way? Oh, yes. Uh, man, uh, back when I first began my recovery journey, uh, several times I would hesitate to get in front of people and to actually talk in front of the group uh, and introduce myself as a point of sex addict. Uh, it's kind of this you feel once you tell people that their entire uh, persona of you, uh, how they have perceived you and how they think of you, that instantly changes. You feel like they think of you as some pervert or some sexual deviant or a child molester. You know, all those things kind of run through your mind. And, and what's sad is that is the case a lot of times. People's ideas change instantly once they know that you struggle with a sex or porn addiction. Hmm. Well, you are from, I think you said a little north of Meridian, Mississippi. That's correct, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. just a little outside of Meridian, just okay. uh, the outskirts. And so um, one thing that tells me is it don't matter really what state you come from. You know, we record out of Alabama, but, you know, regardless where you're at, there's struggles everywhere. But, um you know, you mentioned how you've struggled with this for years, um, actually, I guess decades. Looking back at it, what were some of your like first thoughts or images, maybe without getting too graphic, of of how, how did you get led into maybe the porno or, or the, the sexual addiction? What were your first steps into it? Well, you know, uh, it's really funny. Uh, back when I was really young, uh, a kid, uh, probably, I'd say probably around the age of seven or eight, uh, my first introduction to it was a naked picture of the made of the year on my grandfather's air freshener in his old paperwood truck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was hanging off the rear view mirror. Yeah. Uh, that was the, uh, that was my very first one. And, uh, you know, uh, after that, 
and that one is just kind of just, oh, there it is. And I never really kind of thought much else about it. But my, after that, it kind of led into uh, a friend of mine at school had uh, gave me his uncle's uh, play, Playboy. It was a special edition, and that thing was ran through the ramp. Uh, but I held onto that thing like it was treasure. <laughs> and that, that really is, that thing is what really did it for me right there. That's kind of where I started and what led me down this road was that one issue of Playboy. <laughs> what was it about, you know, um, pornography that, was there an element of, you know, you're escaping from reality or you're escaping from your emotions or it was, you know, like what was it about it that was that was so enticing? Well, for me, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. Mm. Uh, I did have some friends, but they were just not real close. And, uh, that you know, porn and you know, Playboy and all that was kind of a kind of like a fantasy just get lost in to go to and, you know, hey, these are my friends. They like me. You know, it was kind of just that way to because my life sucked so bad uh, and it was just a way for me to escape that. Uh, it offered a very small monetary relief you know, from my troubles. And that's what really put me in. It put me in really hard, too. <laughs> One thing that I've, I've talked, because I sponsor some guys that um, have struggled with sexual addiction, and to be fair, I mean, I completely can relate with, with struggling with sexual addiction myself. I mean, there for the longest time, I just said, well, all men do that. But, I mean, I, I realized that's kind of just a, a cop-out or a, a lie that I could tell myself. But, um one of the biggest things I hear from all of my sponsees who, who focus on this a lot is like the images of that air freshener you talked about or that, that very first Playboy. You could probably remember those images just like you saw them yesterday. And it seems like they oh, get yeah. seared into your memory, right? How do you believe oh. those those images still shape who who you who you are today and how you think today? I mean, does it give you a different perspective on how you view women or um, is it something you always fight with because of that? Or I don't know. Yeah. Uh, most definitely. Uh, what's really, uh, what's strange to me with this uh, point of sex addiction is it's different than a drug and alcohol. Uh, they all affect you internally, but with the, Pornography, it's all, it's all mental. It's like all of that is in my mind. Uh, it starts in the mind and it finishes in the mind. And most definitely, uh, I can remember that very first image that I ever saw as plain as, you know, looking at a, a picture on Facebook today. And, you know, that has ruined a lot of relationships for me. Um, one, you know, dating in high school, even the relationship with my wife today it is still a constant struggle with that uh, because it's, it's always there. You do your best to kind of push those memories to the side mm-hmm. and push them way down, but at the end of the day, they're still there and you have to, uh, to deal with them and you have to work on them. And that is where recovery really came into play, teaching me how to cope with that. Um, because before, 
I would still just take those memories and I would roll with it. Right. Now I actually have those healthy coping skills to deal with it now instead of just pushing it down and still being there. Yeah, I mean, one thing you were talking about is that with it all being internal, to me that would be such a way that sexual addiction and pornography can trap you in it is because, I mean, you can in theory, get away with it forever and without anybody knowing about it. Most definitely. Uh, and what's the, the solid killer with it is it starts off with, uh, not getting too graphic, but it starts off with just looking at a, a simple naked picture. Uh, you know, like me, I started off, you know, just you know, looking at some uh, boobs. Uh, well, eventually, that doesn't do it anymore. And eventually... You're going to the next thing that will help you. And then the next thing. And then that doesn't do anymore. And the pornography addiction eventually will lead you to a sexual addiction. Right. Uh, it, may, it may not lead you there instantly, but it's going to lead you there. You know, and, in a lot of uh, ways, that looks just like a drug addiction to me because, yeah. I mean, I started out with just pot or maybe drinking. There was a lot of little things, and, and it got to where that little bit wasn't enough, so I had to get more, you know, to – I'm I'm not the scientist here or any of those things or the doctor, but, you know, those endorphins and that, that, that craving just couldn't be filled with just one shot anymore. I needed two shots, and, and it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about there. You just needed more to, to make you happy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the it was a bottomless hole, and no matter how much you look or how much you consume of it, it's never enough. Uh, there's an old saying that my my first sponsor told me: uh, one is never enough, and a million is never enough. There's there's no there's no cap to it. Right. Huh, I never heard it like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So all of this, um, I mean, this took a, like we we're talking about a minute ago, this, this has taken place over decades. I think you said even the first image was at seven and, um, rolled through school that way. And, and most of this time from what I, I'm, I think I'm right here, you were involved in, in church. I mean, you were doing church things. You were there when the doors opened and, and when the doors closed, you, you know, you were participating. So it's not like. Um, like for me in my story, I would just rebelled against the church and God. I didn't want to have nothing to do with him. So I was just that sinner out there doing sinful things. Uh, but yet you found yourself inside the church doing, you know, what a lot of people would just say is, you know, good moral things, but yet you were still struggling with sex addiction. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, my earliest memories was of church. Um, I grew up in a very small community, and I grew up in a very close family-oriented home. And we went to church. We, uh, I grew up in a Southern Pentecostal church, and man, I, we were in the church anytime the doors were open. Um, I, I try to lighten the mood a lot of times with my testimony by. This example, if they were in there changing the carpet out in the sanctuary, my family was in the church. Uh, that is how <laughs> devoted we were to the church. And, uh, yeah, and as my porn addiction grew, man, I was still sitting there every Sunday right there in the pew, shaking hands with the preacher acting like nothing was going on. And I got very good at hiding it uh, because I knew, I knew it was something that I would be judged against. 
instead of, you know, welcome me in to, to help me, I'd probably be ostracized and kicked out of the church. Uh, well, so even you work through this with the church, you still, I'm sure there was guilt and shame to go in there and hear a convicting message every Sunday and then find yourself struggling with, you know, looking at porn, looking, um, or, or just fighting through this whole sexual addiction altogether. I mean, did you experience those things? Uh, yeah. Uh, man, our preacher was the type of preacher who every week he would get up there and he would preach the sermon on fire and brimstone and he would run across the stage screaming and yelling. And I mean, I was scared into salvation, um, very much so. And I was scared into salvation at an early age. But yeah, man, the, the guilt and the shame and I think that's for any addiction. That guilt and shame is there, and it is very much present. Um, and I didn't find a freedom from that until very recently. Uh, I've struggled with guilt, shame, self-forgiveness for, for a long time, even inside my recovery. That's something that I've just recently found healing and freedom from. Well, let's talk about that. What what got you into recovery? I mean, what what most most of the time we hear there's a turning point. Something happens. Some people refer to it as a bottom. Maybe um, I don't know what that looks like for in your life. But you know what what changed for you? Well, I had two bottoms. Well, I say that the first time really wasn't a bottom, uh, but I found myself, you know, going through life. Uh, always assuming that, hey, when I get a girlfriend, I'll be able to quit this. Uh, when I get a fiance, I'll be able to quit this. Uh, when I have children, or when I get married, I'll be able to quit this. When I have children, I'll be able to quit this. And I just, I never could. It, it never changed. And uh, eventually I did get married. And we had our, our first daughter. And shortly after that, my wife had found some porn that I had saved on my phone. And she had told me right then and there that something had to give and that, you know, I needed to find some help. And I never knew what I had with the problem. I never knew it had a name to it. And I started finding, you know, doing some research on it. And I found that my home church, uh, North Park Church of God in Meridian, I found that they offered celebrate recovery. Hmm. And I was like, there's no way that I can go there and share with those people that I go to church with. There, there's just no way. And so I kept looking, and I found Sex Addicts Anonymous in Jack. And I went there a couple of times, tried to make it work, and I quickly realized that these people are weird. <laughs> I'm not like these people. I'm not as bad as these people. I don't belong here. Hmm. And... I made the excuse that man, it's just too far to drive, and so I quit going. And in the early part of 2015, uh, our preacher at our church, he had passed away from uh, pancreatic cancer. And we had some interim preachers that came in. And for six weeks straight, those preachers all made the comment of how our church has to celebrate recovery. <laughs> and on that sixth Sunday, I was like, okay, God, I get it. I see the sign, and I'm going to take it. 
And so that the next Monday, I walked to the door there at Celebrate Recovery, and that's how I found it. Uh, now, I wish I could tell you that, that my story ended there, and I found healing and freedom, and it was all rainbows and pixie dust, but it wasn't. I, shortly after that, I, I relapsed. I found my rock bottom and stayed in a relapse for a very long time. And uh, when I came out of that relapse, uh, it led me to a a very much uh, closer relationship with God and a freedom from my point of sex addiction that I'm in today. I'm still in that freedom. Uh, praise the good Lord. <laughs> yeah, well, one thing that I picked up on there is that, you know, you talked about how you, you thought you'd hit a bottom, you kind of got involved, and then you went back out and relapsed. And that's that's a pretty common story. I mean, I don't think that makes you a failure or anybody else that relapses a failure. Um, what was it like when you went back out and you relapsed and you, I guess you wasn't going to your meetings anymore or really even focusing on recovery. What was it like for you personally during that period of time? Well, uh, the main thing that led to my, to my relapse, uh, the job that I was working I started working night shift, and I couldn't make my meetings because uh, I was at work during that time. So I started missing my meetings, and uh, I took a new job where I could start making make my meetings. Well, with a new job, I had to go and um, do some training down in Hattiesburg. Well, during that time, that was the first time that I really had been away from my wife. Uh, I was down there staying in the hotel room for weeks on the uh, time. And that was during the time that my porn addiction progressed into a sex addiction. And I started having affairs on my wife and just became consumed by it. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. And my shame and the guilt overtook me. And the funny thing about shame, it will keep you inside of your addiction and it will keep you inside of your relapse. And I've stayed in that relapse for almost eight months, uh, continuing to have relationships outside my marriage, even so much to the point that I told my wife over a, a meal one night that I wanted a divorce. And, uh, and then I casually went on to the next topic like I never even said it. Right. And, man, that, that I, it took me to a place that I never thought that I would go. And the, I stayed in that relapse for a long time. And it wasn't until my wife actually caught me square in the middle of it. Yeah, they usually do it, won't it? That's yeah, definitely yeah, a motivator there to quit. That is. And what is so funny, well, I say it's funny. It's funny now. I get it. Uh, I was wanting that divorce. Just a few months later, earlier, I was telling her I wanted a divorce. And she was finally on her way out the door with our kids. And I was finally going to get it. And I couldn't let her leave. And after some long talks, she left, but she came back. And uh, we have uh, worked worked on things. It's been a long two years, um, marriage counseling and therapy and recovery. But 
and we're making it work one day at a time. But that relapse, I mean, it, it, it took me through the through the ditch and then some. Good for y'all, man. Sounds like you got wow. an amazing yeah. wife. Um, yeah. But, you know, what? being in that, you know, you talked about the shame and, you know, I imagine the guilt. Was there any – was there any meetings at all for you during that period of time where it was like, you know, there's just no way I can go back in there and face these people? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, I've gotten, uh, I've been in recovery for almost two years and I've gotten that relapse. And um, I would, I've been through two or three step studies and I progressed and I was volunteering and I was serving and man, it was just, it was like a thousand pounds on my chest. It was like, there's just, I, I just, I couldn't do it. I could not, you know, bring myself to face these people. And, um, after my wife had, you know, they found out about everything and it was about, still about a good, maybe three or three weeks. I've been putting off about going back and I was just like, I've got to. And I came back in, and to my surprise, there was people there with their arms wide open walking mm-hmm. me back in. There was no judgment. Uh, there was no um, people placing the, placing the shame on me. Uh, there was just a bunch of open arms and a lot of healing. Wow, that's great. Yeah, what do you, do you think that that's the reason why so many people don't talk more about this, especially in churches, is because of the stigma? Oh, most definitely the, the stigma, and like I said earlier, that that fear of that label of being a pervert or you know mm-hmm. a sexual deviant, you know, I, I believe that plays a lot into it. Um, and it's, it's such a shame because so many people deal with this, so many people, and a lot of people in our church deal with it. Oh um, man, oh. Uh, like I said earlier, over 67% of Christians in the church admit to having a sexual porn addiction. Wow. And we're, we're all going through this battle as if we're fighting it alone. We're not reaching out for help. And we, like with me personally, I remember when I walked into CR for the first time that night, back in 2015, I walked in thinking that I was the only person in Meridian, Mississippi, who was going through what I was going through, who was fighting this fight alone, and nobody else in Meridian was as bad as me. I was the worst there was. And yeah, so I, I think that is a big issue. I think that this this addiction that we have keeps us isolated, and so we, we, we fight alone. I sure do. Yeah, and that's not a really good place to be, trying to fight a battle all by yourself. And, and that's what I did for so many years and still tend to do now when I face new struggles in my life is just think that I can do it myself and the shame that goes along with it, that I should be uh, stronger, you know, maybe a Christian, I should be better, you know, all the different things that we tell ourselves. But uh, so uh, Jason, and I, a few weeks back, we did a, a show on some tips to prevent relapse seeing how you've been through relapse and we just finished talking about it. What, what are some things that you would, that you've safeguarded yourself from this time so that you, you know, maybe don't go down that road again? Well, for the main thing, 
uh, keeping my sponsor on speed dial. <laughs> That's uh, a good one. The uh, that that first go around, uh, I would act like my phone weighed five hundred pounds. I couldn't pick it up when I when I needed to, and I I would absolutely refuse to call my sponsor. I would rather saw my arm off than pick up that phone and call my sponsor. Uh, that's been the main thing is to to keep that sponsor on my speed dial. Um, the second thing, um, you know, we can we can place all these type of safeguards on our phone to prevent us from looking at porn or viewing porn, watching porn. We can get these filters and all that. And that's fine and dandy. I've tried that for, for a while, and it does work. But I found that there's always ways around that. The main thing for me is to continue in the Word of God and to stay in His will each and every day. And because of that, the first place that I thought that uh, when uh, an urge comes about to look at porn, the first place that occurs that is a thought. A thought has to occur in my mind that I want to look and view at porn. And so if I'm staying in the Word and I'm staying inside the will of God, that helps protect my thoughts because your thoughts control the rest of your life. And that's been the main thing. That's Um, good. I know it's a whole harder doing that than saying that, but I I do completely agree with you. Oh, yeah. Walking in the Spirit, yeah. It takes a it takes a lot of self-discipline. It's not something that that I picked up and started doing overnight. I mean, this is this has been over the course of the last two years that I've been practicing this each day. <laughs> so it's it's not an easy feat by no means. Do you have people like holding you accountable to doing those things? Because uh, I know me personally, I, I know those are the correct things to do, but I don't wake up in the mornings with a natural bend to just open God's Word. Usually it's someone, hey, man, have you done any Bible reading today? Or me telling a sponsor, have you done it? Is there, is there anybody in your life that helps you stay accountable to that? Most, well, most definitely. The first person is my wife. Uh, she's been my biggest supporter in all this. Uh, been my biggest cheerleader. Uh, actually, she has started coming and going to uh, my recovery group with me to get more involved. Uh, but besides her, uh, several men that is in our Celebrate Recovery group, uh, we have a bit, a large texting group, and we stay on the phone with each other, uh, encouraging one another, and I mean, it's it's truly the great brotherhood of fellow um, addicts that we've gotten together and we hold each other to that standard. Uh, we we don't accept anything less. That's great. Yeah, I mean accountability is is key in in my recovery for sure. Um, what um so with with the accountability software. For some people, that's enough, you know, to, to curb it. But like you were saying, you were, you were saying there's always a way around it. So, you know, do you still think it's useful to have, though? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I know several guys who benefit greatly from having that. It, it is a huge deterrent for them. And, I mean, hey, I'm not going to knock anything that works. If it works for you, great. For me, um, it, 
it didn't work for me because I knew the password to get around. And right. in yeah. the heat of the moment, you know, when I know the password to get around it, well, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that was a big mistake. Uh, that I, and I should have seen that. You know, I should have gave the password to, you know, an accountability partner or my wife. And instead, I didn't. I wanted to take that on on myself and to handle that myself. And that, that was a big mistake on my part. But like I said, I know several guys. There are several guys in our group that use that. And it works wonderful for them. And that's great. Well, I'll tell you, man, it's been a joy to listen to you and, and, and hear how inspiring um, your testimony is about how it's changed and how God is working in your life. Um, it's even more powerful to hear that your wife, you know, y'all been able to work through these things because that's not always the story. Uh, we love it when we hear those stories, but uh, to know that you've got a great woman beside you who's willing to kind of encourage you and keep you um, uplifted, uh, man, that, that's just wonderful to have that. Mm. And so, um, I'll continue to pray for you guys every day because I know that's, um, that's that, that a lot of times that's the one thing that somebody needs is someone else just to believe in them. And you mentioned your wife being your biggest cheerleader and my wife is that for me. And it's just, if I, my wife believes I can do it, it just helps me that much harder to push through some of the times I didn't think I could ever make it. Um, well, what we like to do, and you've probably heard this before with other guests is we like to kind of close this thing up with what we call our final four questions. And it's the same four questions that we ask everybody. Um, and I think that I sent these things to you. So hopefully you've had some chance to think about it. If you didn't, then, um, I'll give you a few seconds to think of them now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but here we go with the first one. It says, can you name a book other than the Bible? Everybody likes to go to the Bible. Can you name a book other than the Bible, uh, a movie or a podcast that has changed the way that you look at an area of your life? Uh, definitely a book. Uh, and it's one of my favorites. Um, I found this within the past two years after my relapse. And it is by Max Licato. And it is called In the Grip of Grace. It's a record book. Cool. In the Grip of Grace. Uh, yep. Uh, Matt, uh, I grew up thinking that God was this angry God and that was just you know, so full of anger and kind of set poised on the seat of the throne with a lightning bolt ready to strike me down at mm-hmm. the, the slightest bit of sin. And that's, that was the image of God I had for a long time. And it wasn't until I got into recovery this second time after my relapse that I, I truly found out that God is a God of grace. And this book helps with that. If you, if you ever get the chance to read it, that's the one you need to read. That's awesome. I put All that right. on, my, on my list. That's what I love about this. Everybody gives us so many great books to read. Uh, this this may be my favorite question here, which is our second question. If you had a blank billboard to share advice with the world, what phrase would you put on it? Okay. So I have a two-answer uh, to this question. Is that okay? Do I need to just share one? Uh, you can answer two. Uh, the more, the barrier. Right. So, so, <laughs> so my first answer um, would be hashtag we do recover. There is hope. Uh, that's my my big thing right now. I've, I've been kind of using that a lot on my Facebook and on our church CR uh, Facebook page. Uh, 
as we do recover, there is hope. So many people out there fighting addiction, and they just they they don't have any hope, and they don't they feel like there is no other life out there for them. That they're just that addiction is their only option. So that that'd be my first one. Is hashtag we do recover. There is hope. And then my second one uh, would be marriage after infidelity is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so many times after, I mean, don't get me wrong, infidelity is the worst case scenario. I mean, it, it's, it's horrible. But a lot of times the spouse is just completely done and they just, they're wanting out. And they thought that's their only option. I want people to know that there is, like, you, you can stay married after infidelity. It is possible. Uh, me and my wife, we are living proof of that. Plus uh, your children. You do not that. have, yeah. yes, you, uh, divorce is not your only option with that. That's good. That's amazing. Uh, three says, when talking about the 12 steps, uh, which I know you've done because you talked about celebrate recovery, when talking about the 12 steps, what is your favorite step? That would be step number three. Uh, step number three is we have made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Uh, step three, I have to work on that every day. When I wake up in the morning, my feet hit the ground, I have to make that decision to work on step number three. If I don't, relapse is very soon. It's minutes away. <laughs> so step three, it's a, it's a daily work for me that's good and then finally our last one josh is how can people reach you tell us um is there an email or facebook page um how can they get a hold of you yeah uh you can find me on facebook uh i don't think there's too many josh homies out there if there is uh i'm not aware of them but uh you can find me on, on facebook but the best way uh would be josh dot hollingshead at yahoo.com Awesome, man. Well, we've really enjoyed you coming on the show. Um, you did mention before you wanted to plug something that was happening at your church. Um, did you have someone coming out there? Yes. Uh, on October the 21st, uh, we are going to have the National Celebrate Recovery Director for Broken Chains, uh, Jeff Sports. He's going to be coming by our Celebrate Recovery group and giving his live testimony uh, man if, if you have never heard Jeff give his testimony you need to come out and hear this uh, Jeff has a awesome awesome testimony um, and it's going to be October 21st it's going to be at North Park Church of God and that's going to be in Meridian Mississippi uh, we start at 545 with a free meal and then Jeff should be taking the stage to get his testimony around 7 o'clock Cool. Hey, have you ever watched the movie? I mean, you, you talk about Celebrate Recovery. Have you ever watched the movie Home Run? I have not seen it, but I, I heard he's in that. Yeah, he's actually the umpire um, in that, Jeff is. And so it, it, that whole movie is, is really about Celebrate Recovery. It's, it's focused on a, a, a guy who drinks 
too much on the, the ball player and it's his whole story but they interweave some other recovery stories in there as well but yeah jeff is the umpire for that and he, he's a pretty cool guy really is so anyways you tell yeah. jeff i said hey because like i said I, I i've known him for a few years now and um Man, I hope you guys keep doing it over there and showing hope to the people in Mississippi. And if there's anything we can ever do to help you guys, you let us know. Um, and, again, we thank you for coming on the show and be open and on, honest and just being vulnerable enough to share these these struggles in your life. And I, I, um, I'm glad that God yeah, is I, doing what he is in your life. Yeah, that's not a problem. I, I enjoy being on the show. Uh, any chance I get to talk about – what God has done in my life and I can show somebody else freedom through my own freedom. That's a, that's a great thing. I don't think we talk enough about this addiction. So any chance I get to, I'll sit there and talk about it. My wife told me she's going to get me a shirt that says, don't talk to me about recovery. I have no filter. I will sit here for eight hours. And talk about it. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.